And I am Karen Wright. Joining me now, our good friend from Heartland, Minnesota, somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota anyway, Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for listening. It's, uh, boy, another beautiful day here in paradise. Oh, it sure is. Uh, I went for a two-hour walk yesterday on a, on a bike trail. and uh, Was it a little uh, muddy out there, Al? It's an all-paved uh, trail. So oh, okay. It's a bike trail, so it was very nice. You know, the only, uh, as a walker uh, who might be carrying binoculars or camera, I have to make sure I stay out of the way of bicycles. Right. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, you tend to just kind of drift off to uh, one side or another. And it, what a beautiful day, and, and so many birds. It was just an incredible day. Uh, I just... Uh, I talked to uh, more people than I could shake the proverbial stick at, and they all had a, a bird story or nature story to share with me, and it was pretty cool. And doesn't it seem as though if you had a stereo, it would be turned up to full volume with the birds and the, the wildlife now because it's just almost after the snow kind of melted and the, the things are starting to pop out of the grounds, the birds just said, crank it, baby. That's right. And it's so it's so neat. I just did a... Uh, a interview for a newspaper and they were talking about uh, asking me about the robins and the trials and tribulations of our traveling robins and it is so neat that uh, so many people care uh, about a robin it just makes me feel so good you know winter uh, what could we say winter lingered that would be a kind way to put it this year instead of saying it would never go away because it's like when you have relatives or house guests you just say well they they lingered a little while longer than uh, we planned on. Isn't there but some saying about fish uh, getting old after certain or starting to stink with relative? I don't know. There's something about that, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, it was that fish and relatives both go bad after so many days or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, Minnesota nice doesn't apply to the weather. Weather is never perfect. But yesterday when I was walking, chorus frogs were singing, uh, tree swallows were flying overhead, white-throated sparrows out there. Uh, a friend, Jenny Hanna of Emmons, we had a board meeting yesterday, and she told me, she said, I have put the snow shovels away. Uh, that's at her workplace, which is Poet in Glenville. Oh, don't she do said, that, because just as you do that, you know... <laughs> Gonna yeah, happen. that's what she said. I put it on April 23rd. Oh. I put them away, and I said, so you're going to take the heat, you know, if it snows? No more snow, she said. I guarantee it. So Jenny Hanna Emmons, that's who said that. Well, me. I had on my Facebook pop-up, you know how they have things from the past pop-up? Five years ago, yesterday, I had a picture pop-up that I took where we had eight or nine inches of snow on the that date in 2013. So, I mean... I know we think that, that this is the latest ever, but it's not. I think it was just colder this year, so it felt like it went on forever because we had those, at least in the 2013 pictures that I had, things had kind of warmed up, and then they just had this big dump of snow. So uh, this year it's just that it was so cold for so long. On um, May 1st and 2nd of 2013, Blooming Prairie, which is just down the road from us, had 18 inches of snow. Oh, see, so it ain't over till it's over. Yeah, I remember uh, I was out in shorts uh, with no shoes and socks on and a T-shirt shoveling snow from our place on that May 2nd. So, 
Oh, uh, Denny Galligan, a, a friend from Albert Lee, said that any robin that arrives here before the 4th of July should bring its own backhoe to <laughs> dig for worms, which yes. I thought was, yeah, that's a good way to put it. He said the juncos were so numerous in his yard that their chicken-like scratching to find food plowed the snow out of his yard. Nice. I watched two red-tailed hawks spar over a prey item. Boy, they were really going at it, and I'm sure they're a mated pair, but they were having a uh, marital spat over whatever. Uh, I couldn't make out exactly what uh, if she had it, it looked like, because she was the, the bigger bird had it. Uh, metal arcs, I'm seeing a lot of metal arcs now, and every time I hear a metal arc, I remember something from when I was a boy. And with all the late-arriving snow, folks, we should have snowmelt ponds, pools, and puddles to produce enough mosquitoes to give us plenty of much-needed exercise as we have to slap them. And their eggs uh, could hatch in the stagnant water of footprints, tire tracks, uh, depressions and rocks, buckets, other man-made containers, wheelbarrows, clogged rain gutters, tarp coverings, boats, boy, anywhere they can... uh, they can find a place to put those eggs and they will i've asked a bunch of different entomologists and i get a different answer pretty much every time but their eggs can lay dormant i think i can safely say five years i got everywhere from three years to 15 years from Mm. uh, different people can can i bring up something a little more a a nicer topic gully is here and i think he has some news he wants to share with us alan and so gully's joining us at the moment yeah hi gully it's nice to hear your voice, and um, I, I, I assume you were talking about the state bird just a second ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I have some uh, happy news. Uh, our friend Ellendale Jim sends his wishes and his pledge, so thank you. And, uh, and and wanted to let you guys know it's to support Al Bat and this show. Nice. So. Well, what a nice guy. I think Jim ought to be our state bird. Thanks, Gilly. Uh, yep. Just. Thanks, Kelly. I'm just real happy I know Jim. He's well. If you, know, you want to, I was going to say if anybody else wants to support Albat, because so many people listen, and I hear people saying I love listening to Albat. And you want to say I love Albat? You can call us now. I'll give the numbers because Gully will answer, and you can keep listening. You know, as we go along here, five zero seven three eight nine. Five six seven eight. Pledge your support to KMSU, and if you want to show pledge support to loving this Albat show, call right now five zero seven three eight nine five six seven eight. All right. Thank you. Yeah, and again, thanks, Jim. Um, you know, I, I stopped at a small wetland in Missouri, and I watched a great blue heron that had caught a fish. It was too big for it to swallow, and the heron tried and tried to swallow the fish. He did just oh. the way it was positioned in the bill, but to no avail. And all of a sudden, the heron became a catch-and-release bird. It just dropped the fish and said, there you go. And I bet that fish would have quite a story to tell if it hadn't become a floater. But a crow flew over the wetland, and it was mobbed by angry red-winged blackbirds. And they flew over the crow and pecked it from above. And not long after that, a red-tailed hawk flew over the wetland. And the red tail got the same reception from the blackbirds. Later, on my way back, I stopped at that same wetland, and a turkey vulture flew over, and it received the same treatment. Now, this turkey vulture was no menace to the blackbirds, but the red wings, they were on high alert, and they were not about to take any chances. So if it looked like a threat, it was treated as one. 
Uh, Glenn Austin of Heartland sent me a photo of an American bittern that landed in his yard. Uh, a lot of people call them slew pumps. Rita Granson said she was out some around some wetlands. She saw an eared grebe, a uh, black-crowned night heron, an American bittern, uh, some sandhill cranes. Tim Poulos said on Thursday he went out to the Cobb River WMA, saw his first pheasant of the year. Also had some Ross's geese, a redneck grebe, three marble godwits, trumpeter swans, and a huge variety of ducks. And he said uh, many flocks of juncos on the side of the road. Uh, Ralph G. from West Mankato said he and a neighbor have seen 40 to 50 turkey vultures sitting in a tree on Kearney Avenue. He is shocked to see so many of these huge birds in one area. He said he'd never noticed them before this week. After his neighbor pointed them out, he's wondering why they're hanging out there. He commented how amazing it is to see how they fly with their huge wingspan. Wants to know if uh, they live here around here all year round. We just don't notice them because of all the leaves. What are they eating? What are they doing? Um, I yeah, he said you know, he he came in. He was um, doing a pledge. Thanks, Ralph. And and he stopped at the station. And he said, "Would you ask Al that?" Because he says on Carney Avenue, kind of in the middle of Carney Avenue, which is West Mankato. He says it's just black with all these forty to fifty. And he said, "I'm not exaggerating." Turkey vultures. So yeah, he's wondering kind of what's going on. Do they live there? Where where are they coming from? And where are they going? And et cetera. And they do migrate, Ralph, so we get them uh, coming in here right now as they've really been coming in. And they gather in uh, certain places. There's, a, I'm thinking of a cemetery in Albert Lee where there's nice, tall, stately trees. And they love to come in there. The sun comes up and hits them at the right angle in the morning so they can spread their wings because uh, having all black feathers uh, is nice when they can warm up in the sun. Uh, it's a place where they like to uh, uh, roost, where they're comfortable roosting. They probably feel safe at that place. They aren't too far from where there's something to eat. As far as what they eat, Ralph, they eat uh, carrion primarily, anything from dead carp to a dead raccoon. Uh, they do like venison. I just took a bunch of photos of a uh, two turkey vultures eating on a deer and I'm trying to uh, sort out the ones that aren't uh, too grisly but still show the what's going on and uh, and keep those and dump the rest of them they um they were named after the turkey because the turkey vulture has this bald head so that bits of carrion won't stick to its skin as they would to feathers. And the turkey vulture with this bald red head and dark feathers was given its name because of this superficial resemblance to a wild turkey. I uh, got an email from uh, Dennis Distead of Albert Lee who asked something about turkey vultures also. He said, where do they nest? Well, turkey vultures do not build nests. So they lay their eggs in caves, crevices, broken tree chops, uh, hollow trees on the ground or ledges, and stick nests of other birds. Uh, even in mammal burrows, I've seen um, young ones in abandoned buildings. So they uh, they are they're I just think they're marvelous birds. They can glide for so long without flapping their wings. They're very fuel efficient. They do a wonderful service for us all by removing all these dead critters from everywhere. 
I I just uh, again I, if there's a turkey vulture fan club I am a prime member of those and uh, thanks for noticing them Ralph and they um they are around here they are no threat to anything they uh eat dead stuff so they as I said the red-winged blackbirds were attacking them just cuz they look like a raptor or a crow they look like a big bird that could do damage to um, young red wings or eggs, so they will attack them. Uh, turkey vultures, you often see them circling. It doesn't always mean that there's something dead down there below. They could just be circling so they can hit some thermals and move a little bit. But sometimes they are circling over a dead deer. or So if you see a lot of turkey vultures circling, it's very possible that there might be venison um, on their diet. So... And Ralph, man, you got any other questions? Uh, boy, please holler! I love talking about turkey vultures. They're kind of ugly, uh, he said, but in a way, they're kind of beautiful. Oh, you know? they are—they are beauties, you know. And <laughs> mom thinks they are the prettiest thing that ever come out of an egg. So. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's <laughs> mother's that way. Yeah. I—I I, I tell you what—I've—I had some students who who I said, well, what makes you, you know, especially. Um, good for this job, you know, to want to work here. And he says, well, I'm unique. And I says, yes, and who says that? Your mother? Because <laughs> it's huh? not about to, well, yeah, okay, there we go. So <laughs> We're all unique just like everybody else. Exactly. Uh, Dolores Paulson said on Saturday she had 50-plus uh, juncos. There were uh, fox sparrows, song sparrows, tree sparrows, chipping sparrows, white-throated sparrows, and she said the blackbird bunch comes about 10.30. She figured 100 and some, mostly male red wings. There was one female among them. And I noticed that she had a pinkish, orangish chin, so out came the bird books. I learned that this is not uncommon. Uh, there were cowbirds, rusty blackbirds, and grackles. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato said, I put up my summer feeder today. After a year of beta test, I can suggest to anyone who is looking for an oddball feeder that this will actually work. After we put it in a patio a couple of years back, I lost my spot to have a feeder post in the backyard where we could view the birds best. One day, on an inspiration, I purchased a feeder pole and a ground spike at our local pet supply store and a platform feeder with a pole adapter. We had a heavy metal patio umbrella stand that we were no longer using, and I set up the feeder pole on the patio in the umbrella stand. The ground spike gives you the extra width to use the umbrella base screw to secure the post best. Since we exceed the USPSI, that's the urban squirrel per square inch, I also attached a baffle cone to the post and one extension hook for a hanging feeder. As long as the second feeder remains above the baffle, it is somewhat squirrel-proof. Think short finch sock versus long finch sock. One industrious squirrel figured out that it could climb my umbrella clothesline and leap, but since the feeder was more or less portable, I simply moved it and got it out of its reach. Since I'm a shorty, I need a stand on a small step to fill the feeder, but that is okay. That feeder post withstood all of the weather we threw at it last summer and remains standing. It is a great idea for anyone looking to put a feeder on a deck or paved area that they weren't sure they could use for bird feeding in the past. 
Mark Bernard of New Richland. Uh, Mark said he's seen a lot of metal arcs, and that's uh, he and I. Uh, they said oh, how lovely it is to have metal arcs around. Charlie said, "Why so many robins on the roadsides?" Uh, Charlie, I think robins are naturally attracted to open ground in the spring, uh, a place where uh, that would be more likely to provide food for them. And when you see one robin in the spring, you typically see a bunch. And I hope they have a sufficient number of snows on their tails that winter can leave. Uh, Millie Wesson of Hayward saw returning purple martins on April 13th, and Larry Bourne of Wasika reported spotting martins on April 14th. Larry asked if purple martins retreat when they're hit with adverse weather conditions this time of the year. Do they make a U-turn? And I've read Larry of birds backtracking south for a short time, but most observations indicate this doesn't happen. You know, if you're a martin, you come up here, you can't be sure that if the weather behind you is any better. So they practice communal roosting in inclement weather. So they will get in a martin house, and a few of them climb into one apartment. Martins feed only on insects, and they begin to starve after three days without food. So some martin house landlords do supplemental feeding of mealworms and crickets. And a martin will lay two to seven eggs, they incubate them for two weeks, and the young fledge in a, around a month. A caller uh, who didn't leave a name on the voicemail said, Al, did you hear that the ice went out on Lake Pepin on April 20th? That was the first lake in the state to do so. No, I didn't, but uh, thanks to you, I did. Uh, Arlene Carr of Northfield said we had a small bird at our feeder. It had sparrow-type coloring, a little red on the head, red Pink, reddish pink on its back between the wings. I looked at red pole, purple finch, but not sure. It was very tiny and kind of plump. It had splotches on its chest. I didn't attempt to get a picture of it, for we have screens on the window, and they never turn out good through it. There was a female and a male. Any idea? Uh, a red pole would have a small pinkish area there, if anything at all. They're like goldfinch-like. I'd guess house finch or purple finch. The male house finch has brown streaking on the breast and a brown cap that differentiates it from the purple finch. And the female purple finches have a whitish eyebrow that is missing on a house finch. Uh, Don Gressing said the local ponds are still frozen, lots of snow on the ground, but today a female wood duck went in the house in my backyard without hesitation, meaning she has apparently been there before as her mate watched from a nearby oak. And on the ground, a female mallard was walking around looking for a nest site as her mate stood in the backyard watching. Waterfall or such fun. Uh, Reverend Geigel, uh, Gene Amley, and Bob Frisk, they're all from New Richland. They all reported seeing uh, dead robins, sadly. Uh, Bob Frisk also said he uh, had, uh, on a positive note, he had some uh, pileated woodpeckers, a pair in his yard. Amy um, Purdy sent me a photo of something found in a friend's house, and it is the, an old paper wasp nest. Uh, to be specific, it was a bald-faced hornet nest. These are the ones that kind of look like footballs in trees. And occasionally you will find them in a building. And this one had kind of, oh, they look like a Salvador Dali painting sometimes after they get some age. It's like they uh, melted watch. They just melt a little bit. 
And that was this beautiful picture that Amy had sent to me. But that's a bald phoenix hornet nest. And folks, uh, I talk to somebody every year said, oh, I see one of those in my yard, and I always want to bring it in the house, but I'm afraid, uh, you know. But um, yeah, in the winter, if you find one, they do not reuse their nests, so there's there should be nobody in there, so you well, can bring it in. I was going to say, should you, t- should you be messing with nests? Because, you know, the Children's Museum up in the... Um, at or science museum up in St. Paul has a, a place where kids can bring in nature items and then they get points and they can trade it for other cool nature items and of course my sons bring things from nature to grant to change for different kinds of rocks but Blake brought in a couple nests that he found in trees one was a, an abandoned robin's nest and they won't accept those because they say you shouldn't be monkeying because the birds might come back and I, and that's that's probably true but I, are there some birds that do come back and some that don't uh, bother yeah. with their nests and and I mean is, do they have a point obviously yeah there are you know uh, oriole nests they don't typically reuse them although they will reuse the material from them so they ah. will swipe from those uh, robin nests uh, they typically do not reuse them that said they will sometimes use uh, like the foundation and they will rebuild from that. Uh, you know, and birds they have they done need. that at our house on under the deck because we had this robins, and they came back. It kind of fell apart, but they came and they kind of reconstructed it from the foundation. Right. It's like a basement, I guess. It is exactly what it is. And morning doves will use that sometimes. They will use a robin nest and nest on it because uh, otherwise they, you know, they throw a couple sticks in the morning dove and says, "Well, we're done." <laughs> that's, that's a, so they will. Uh, on rare occasions, but most birds do not reuse nests. You know, bald eagles certainly do, and some of the bigger birds like that. A great horned owl will steal a nest from a heron, a crow, a eagle, a hawk. So, but most birds, even woodpeckers, will make a cavity one year and lay eggs in it, and then the next year they will make another cavity and legs in there. Uh, there's something about so many of our, particularly our songbirds, that they need that process. It's a pair bonding thing, experience. It's like remodeling a house or building a house, you know, and it either brings you closer or divide, puts a great spike between you. But anyway, they, they need to do this. Uh, on these... Um, these bald-faced hornet nests, uh, they're just chewed up paper, pretty much. The queen makes a nest, and she lays eggs, and then as they start to hatch, and she gets more hornets, they're, they're actually wasps, but they're called hornets, they will make a bigger nest. So they're just really cool nests, and I, I don't think they'd have any problem with anybody taking a bald-faced hornet nest anywhere. You just wouldn't want to do it in uh, when there's uh, hornets around yet, because that might be a bad thing to bring it in the house and have it full of hornets, and it'd be like an old... Uh, Oh, Laurel and Hardy or Three Stooges <laughs> or one of those old movies. That's what would happen to them. So it's. I got a, um, a text from, uh, I don't know who, but it said, Why don't robins eat dead earthworms on the sidewalk? Well, wh- would you want to eat a dead cow along the side of the road, right? Is that the kind of the, the theory or not? <laughs> yeah, I think the reason that robins, because you think if you're a robin out there, you say, man, they're looking for worms, yeah. they're looking everywhere. Well, walk over the sidewalk. It's covered with them. <laughs> I think the reason they don't eat as many as we would think is likely due to the lack of movement. Oh. 
because I, I had a dog, I've had a number of dogs, but it, it would chase a cat. And, boy, they would just chase one another. And if the cat stopped, then the dog would stop. Like, where'd that cat go? What's the deal here? They don't, in that lack of movement, so dead earthworms just don't move enough to gain the interest of most robins. So they will just stop and say, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what that is. That might be a stick or something. Yet the little buggers will come out in my garden and pull onions out, which I've never understood. Uh, I've watched robins go down the road where I've planted those tiny little sets, and they'll pull it out and kind of look at it. I don't know if they're looking for nest material or if they think it's something to eat. And and the ground has uh, just been worked up, so they figure that'd probably be good earthworm ground. But I don't know what... I had one one year would just go right down the road pulling all the little onions, and I'd really yank on them just like it had an earthworm and pull them out and then look at them and say, oh, that's no good, and then move on to the next one. So... Uh, robins are amazing critters. I um I I do want to put a, in a plug for KMSU. It, it's wonderful radio. It's something you do not get anywhere else, and uh, for the that price or any price, uh, I know any um, any donation would be appreciated. It's just a, a wonderful thing, and like all wonderful things, uh, they do they do cost a little bit of money to produce. So. I appreciate everybody that will dig into their pocket and pull out whatever kind of money they're able to and provide it to KMSU so they can continue this quality radio that they've done for, uh, I don't know, 200 years? Uh, It's actually over 50, I know that much. And you've been here for, what, 30-some of those? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's, uh, everyone's been fun. So I, I appreciate KMSU and I appreciate all the, the wonderful folks that uh, listen to this station and let me know what they're seeing in nature and ask me uh, great questions. I've learned so much through the years uh, about everything, um, just from talking to people and hearing what they're seeing and and wondering what they're wondering. It's nice to look in the same direction with a lot of wonderful folks. But and before I, before you oh, go, okay. I want to say we do have a question for you from our friend John in New Ulm. Sure. He says, this is an easy question for Al, so you better not get it wrong here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. A lot of pressure now. What did the beach uh, say? Let's see. I, I guess he's missing a word here. What did the beach when the tide came in? Oh, what did the beach say when the tide came in? What did the beat say when the tide came in? I have no idea, John. Long time no see. Oh, <laughs> man. Tell you, John, I wonder where he gets all those. I don't know. Maybe his dad's. He says he, uh, Turkey stops by his dad's place almost every day, and his dad's up in Andover. So do, the, do turkeys have regular territories that they just hang out? Is that it? You, you know, they do. Uh, just like us. They like um, tall trees, nice tall trees for nesting. I suppose it gives them a nice vantage point, and they like oak trees because they eat a lot of acorns. Ah. So it's uh, pretty good if they can find a place that uh, a lot of oaks are. And they also love where the uh, sunshine wagons spread in the fields, manure spreaders. and Honey, honey wagon, my dad always called it. Honey wagons, yep. yep. And they can go out there and they can find um, cows and things or uh 
they're not always they don't always process all the food so there's corn and things that comes out there and the turkeys will eat that when uh, we had the farm we used to get deliveries from a local creamery they used to dump all their whey and they used to used to dump tapioca pudding that i guess it was burned or something so we put that in the manure pit because it added nutrients to the the manure it was liquid manure and when my dad would spray spread that on the field with all that tapioca there the field would be white like it was snow with those sea seagull type or i don't know what they're Gulls, gulls yeah, that. with those gulls because apparently they love tapioca. <laughs> That'd be the uh, the rare species, the tapioca eating gulls. <laughs> That's right. I love tapioca. Oh man, that. Oh, I just wish they could save that for that that burned tapioca. That might be a new taste treat. You probably wouldn't want to get it off the fields where my dad was spreading it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wouldn't want it once it was put on the field. No, but, well, Al, we appreciate you and, and thank you for, you know, being a part of KMSU for 30 years. And obviously, if it sub- wasn't something you believed in, you wouldn't continue to come on and, and share your your vast um, num, uh, knowledge and, and your love and passion for birds and nature, etc. So we appreciate you. And if you appreciate Al and programming like this, give us a call because it is Pledge Drive time and we do operate with listener support. So the number to call 507-389-5678. That's 507-389-5678. And thank you so much, Al. We really appreciate sure. you. Thank All right. you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.